0: Thank you for tuning in to episode 18 of the Keto Matrix podcast. For those of you that have been asking, yes, Brittany is back and it's great to have her. This episode is definitely jam-packed with a ton of information and so I would advise and recommend make sure you listen with a notebook. Having said that, one of my favorite friends out there, Keto Savage, Robert Sykes, he always uses the phrase self-imposed hardships and the more and more he's used it and the more and more I've kind of thought and molded over, I love it. It's absolutely amazing what you can really pull from the thought of imposing your own hardships to really recognize and create growth within yourself in lots of different areas. All of that leading to passion. So before I I announce and kind of tell you who this person is, I just want you to realize they have a bunch of acronyms after their name. RDLDCDE. For those of you that don't know, that's a registered and licensed dietitian. She's a certified diabetes educator and she's got a contagious passion for food as medicine. Having said that, the passion really comes from before her nutritional aspect and insight into things. You know, one of the few things that I've ever recognized was, just how much you can look at where we've practiced, what we've loved, and how that's turned into passion in other aspects in our life. So I'm not going to say what it is, but I will say it was an absolute honor and pleasure to have Allie Miller on, so much so that I made sure she agreed to come back on in a future episode, which we will have her back for. This is a short and powerful episode that you do not want to miss. Lean in, take notes, enjoy, and remember, please, 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 if nothing else, if this episode resonates with you and you think someone else can benefit from it, we really want to make sure we impact as many lives as possible. So please, like subscribe share and thank you so much let's jump into the episode the keto matrix podcast where myths are busted science is explained and the keto lifestyle is discussed by industry experts and everyday people alike for more information and support go to
1: the ketomatrix.com now let's jump into our latest episode
0: okay good evening Brittany Ali how are we doing
2: Good. I'm rocking. I'm pumped to be here.
0: Awesome. Okay, so I think this is apropos that, Allie, you are a much anticipated and waited guest, like super excited that you're here. But then I'm also super excited, Brittany, this is our first time recording in forever. I feel like the listeners are going to be
1: like, yes, this is a power-packed episode. She's back. So <laughs> I don't know that they'll be as excited that I'm back, that we have her on. But um, yes, I will. I'll, I'll accept that excitement anticipated.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I feel like people have been like, Neo has gone rogue. He's just been talking <laughs> and talking. And as you so eloquently put earlier, uh, my my episode was just about long, to say this one
1: is going to be shorter than yours that happened while I was gone. So,
0: <laughs> well, at least listen. At least the listeners know. Seriously, when we say that you keep me reined in, it's the truth. Because <laughs> I mean, I'll just talk forever. So, um, thank you both for taking the time out to hop on. I appreciate it.
1: No problem. I'm excited for the episode.
0: Yes. Okay. So Allie, I just want to let you know that I'm going to bombard you with a ton of questions. Um, You do not have to answer them all. You can always tell me to shut up or you can (laughs) deflect and ask Brittany a question because I seriously do love to talk and I don't want to um, go down many of the rabbit holes that I know will come up. But one of the (laughs) things that you know, as I was kind of like, oh, my goodness, she said she can come on the podcast. Fantastic. Um, I was thinking about just like the time of year that we're in and the stress and the amount of pressure that are on a lot of people, when they kind of look at and go through deciphering the holidays and how all those things come through. And before we kind of delve into your thought process and approach on not only like the the mental aspect of it all, but, you know, kind of how to deal with it. I'd really like to for those that do not know who you are in any way, shape or form, kind of get a little bit idea of your background and kind of. Why would we even be interested to have you on, Allie? Who are you? What sure. Do you do? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how exciting I can sound, but yeah, I, I'm a registered dietitian, and what makes me unique is my background is in naturopathic medicine, so I went to Bastyr University outside of Seattle, Washington, and I completed my educational background there, and I was considering becoming a naturopathic doctor but I decided to become an RD so that I could kind of have like a leg on both banks of the river. One on allopathic conventional medicine as a registered dietitian and the other leg on the naturopathic. So I say that my practice is really guided by nature, but grounded by science and evidence-based practice. And I used functional integrative medicine as the modality of treatment with my patient.
0: Very cool. Now, my question is, when I grew up, I wanted to be a pilot. When you grew up, were you like, listen, I'm totally going into nutrition. This is my heart, my soul, my passion. Or did you have maybe other thoughts at sixteen? No, yeah,
2: man. When I when I grew up, I was eating Swedish fish and drinking Diet Coke, <laughs> so I was not thinking about <laughs> being a functional dietitian. Uh, I was a ballerina, and I uh, was very in the mindset of, you know like low fat and, you know, staying thin for dance. I started to get into, so when I went to college, initially I was a dance major and I started to get into nutrition, probably my freshman year of college when I had to kind of fend for myself and I had to fight that, that freshman 15 or 10 or whatever, and and realize if I wanted my body to be an instrument, I had to respect it and really be cognizant of what I was fueling it with, and at that same time, my then boyfriend, now husband, uh, was doing a lot of organic farming work, and so I started to really get into food food sustainability. Uh, you know, identifying what is a food versus a chemical shitstorm that we're eating and calling food, <laughs> and uh, that kind of really started my flight, I suppose, of, of a, a dynamic change within my relationship of, of food, I guess, and, and nutrition and nourishment.
0: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there, Brittany. Interrupt me if you need to, but just everything that you just said, I feel like has brought just so many memories into my mind of things that I thought were completely irrelevant my entire life until this very moment. So, my sister growing up. Uh, She has a doctor in music theory or music therapy or something of that nature. She's a huge yogi now. She lives in Miami. But I digress. She, however, was a dance major for a period of time. And I remember when she was trying to dance point and would come home and just have to like Epsom salt her feet and go through all these different things because she was dancing until her feet would bleed. Yeah. Um, So I say all that to say I want to just... Paint this picture because you speak so eloquently. I think that you do a great job at explaining and putting all these things out and people are like, oh, that's nice. But then you're also very blunt and to the point. And I think that <laughs> that combination cannot be better displayed than in the thought process of a ballerina who,
1: who at the end
0: of the day comes off so graceful. But literally the the just crazy mentality that you have to have to put your body through the amount of stress and pressure you need to in order to become so graceful and elegant, um, I think is just absolutely amazing. So the dynamics of that all depicted in real life, I think, comes off in everything that you're doing even now. So congratulations on that. And for anyone else that's <laughs> listening, that's like, wait, dance till your feet bleed. I'm like, yeah, it's a real thing. My sister, we used to make fun of her feet like crazy because we we're like, what are you I, doing and why? It's insane.
2: Yeah. I remember right before a huge uh, recital, the because you break your point shoes in, like it's a process. And they, you know, I mean, you, you literally beat them and you scrape them and you do all these things before you start wearing them and then the arch forms within your foot and all the things. And I remember I had my favorite point shoes. You usually have a backup pair, but there's the one, you know, that like you do your perfect pirouettes in and all the stuff. And uh, I, I remember right before, as we were in the last rehearsal, um, I snapped um, the shank of one, and it was like we kept we kept retaping, and we kept retaping. We made it through, but it was just one of those like you know you build up, you can work it to a certain magic point, and then it's done, and it's pretty pretty wild process. And I've bled through a lot of point shoes too, for that matter. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. And I thought, I, I thought I was hardcore playing football and lacrosse. I never bled my cleats though. I'll tell you that. So, wow. Okay. So
2: Discipline, man.
0: seriously, I love it. Um, Hey Brittany, did you ever think you'd have a real life ballerina, like virtually across from you to talk to?
1: Uh, I did not. I did not. Um, um but I will say just from like the pictures and the videos and set, so, like you see, anytime I go to, um, The only ballet I've ever actually seen is the Nutcracker. But every time I watch it, I just sit there and I'm like, you know, you think you're in shape. Like you think about some of the typical things that we think of in athletics as being in shape. And I'm like, not even like doesn't even begin to compare to what dancers, but particularly ballerinas put their body through and can do and maintain the endurance and the power. Yeah, it's always mind blowing to me. (laughs) Like,
0: seriously, I feel like we could have a podcast just talking about that and the discipline necessary in order to be successful in that field. So, yeah, I mean, but having said that, I guess the the reason I kind of wanted to unpack that is because I feel like when we talk about nutrition, it's one of those things that I people I think people they think it's easier than it is, but. In order to really make that shift and that change, I feel like it's got it. It takes discipline. It takes you getting fed up with where you're at and or in a situation where you have no choice based on your health that you just have to make these changes. But that doesn't make it any easier. You know, like I think we all at some point in time um, have bled through our shoes in order to get to a point where we're successfully making that change and shift. And so I'm glad that, you know, we can kind of put the raw unedited out of, it's not easy. And there's some things that, that come to it and Swedish fish and Diet Cokes aren't going to get you there.
2: (laughs) This is true. This
0: is true. (laughs) Okay. So you, you go through your freshman to 15 and obviously you're putting a lot of uh, pressure with dance and all those things. How did you get to the point where you're like, okay, cool. I think that, you know, my boyfriend now husband, and when I say mine, I mean yours, uh,
2: right. <laughs>
0: just for clarity, um, is, you know, kind of going through the farming and growing things and you're and you're seeing more of what's actually going into food and what you're eating. When does that, you know, when does that bug hit you that you need to take this passion further?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I did the classic, like, uh, I had the realization of, well, I probably am not going to be a professional dancer because I wouldn't be in a university if I was, (laughs) I would be, you know, at a professional place. So I shifted gears because I didn't want to teach dance for a career and took some time off, worked at a hippie gem store. That was cool. Um, uh, worked at the farmer's market. And then I started working at a hospital as a diet tech because I was interested in nutrition and I wanted to start building my resume. Um, I was paying for my own college. So I always was hustling something. And, um, <laughs> I started working as a diet tech when I had become vegan, which was fun. So I was making like these hospital commodity, like, you know, powdered mashed potatoes and all of the terrible things. And, um, yeah, I went to Bastyr and Bestir at that time, uh, I had thought I was going to turn the whole world vegan. And, um, they had a vegetarian cafeteria, and I was also taking some external coursework to become a raw vegan chef. And really, at that point, the end of my first year at Bestir, and I w- went on a three-month stint of eating raw vegan. Um, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and that was like the kind of uh, nail hammer strike hit of whoa! I gotta, I have to recheck my health story, I have to recheck my connection with my body and uh, understand how to nourish it differently. A lot of my professors were already challenging me about more of like a Weston A. Price model of eating. You know, they would question the sustainability of my earth balance, again, chemical shit storm tub of vegan spread, right? Um, as opposed to getting <laughs> butter that could be churned down the road. And, you know, they're like, we get that you're really into being environmentally conscious, but this whole vote with your dollar, meet your hands that provide and, and be a conscious consumer with a direct relationship is stronger. And so I, I, started to really connect in that sense to my food system. And, um, when I was, uh, getting my blood work done at the, at the clinic and was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I, uh, you know, I knew at that point, crap, I did this to myself. I've been eating vital wheat gluten before I went raw vegan, I was eating vital wheat gluten and soy in everything. Um, and I had a ferritin of three, or four, I believe, it was super, super low, super anemic, Um, and I started dealing with onset of panic attacks and anxiety, and I literally within two months from that three-month vegan stint was eating ribeyes and uh, eggs and all the things and pulled grains out completely and then went hardcore paleo and kind of kept moving the dial in the other way.
0: Very cool. Okay, so for for those that have absolutely no idea what that is, can you kind of talk through and explain how you were feeling, what Hashimoto, what the symptoms are? Are, what what kind of unpacked how you were living and what the, those impacts were on your day-to-day?
2: Yeah. So I, you know, like the background with dance and everything, I'm, I'm a type A individual. Um, some could say perfectionist in some ways. And I think that that contributes heavily to autoimmune disease uh, when we're under high stress. And this is kind of the premise when I put out my book that recently released the anti-anxiety diet, I find as a functional medicine practitioner, and it's really taken me 10 years of clinical work to step outside of my own health story and then see the, ah, you know, <laughs> back then, I don't know if I made all these links, but I find anxiety or overdrive of stress in the body to be the Achilles heel of optimal health. And wait, I, wait, wait, that wait. Time- you yeah. have to
0: say that again, because I feel yeah. like nobody is going to rewind it while they're driving to hear it. And I think that. <laughs> If they get nothing else from this entire episode, yeah. they need to focus in on that.
2: Yeah, the the premise of my book is that stress or unmanaged anxiety is the Achilles heel of optimal health. If you're if you're under fight or flight mode. And you're not balancing out and that's your your sympathetic nervous system your fight or flight mechanisms of the body if you're not balancing that out with your parasympathetic and we can go down that rabbit hole because that's what people really want to hear versus my boring personal story but you know if you can balance that out you're going to be good if you are running on fight or flight mode you're going to drive your body to destruction and i really think that Combined with high anti-nutrients in my diet, um, you know, I when I was at Bestia, I was like, I am going to. Be the master of biochem and I think I did well at that. I think that's why people, you know, like what I do because I'm really nerdy and I I get A&P and I get mechanisms of action of phyto compounds and nutrients and whatnot. But I made sure that I didn't get A's. I made sure that I memorized it. I could recite it backwards. I could explain it better than my professor. And I was like just adamant about mastering my subject work. And I, I didn't, I mean, you know, I was up working 18 hour days. I also was working two jobs and um, it just all kind of onset unraveled. And what it experienced as was shortness of breath, severe, severe brain fog. Um, like I said, anxiety in the sense of the physiological onset of like palpitations, arrhythmia. Um, I was dealing with a lot of insomnia, grinding my teeth i um, actually chipped part of a tooth that year, and Did you have any acne
0: um, or anything like that.
2: I didn't have um, really any. I, I didn't. I was off of birth control at that time because I was in the natural mindset, and I didn't. I didn't have any hormonal stuff then. Um. So so yeah, I didn't really have too too much of that. I was eating clean at that point. It was just not a nourishing diet. I wasn't eating any artificial food colorants or you know high fructose corn syrup or anything like that. But I was eating a lot of raw vegetables. <laughs> um, <laughs> lot of antinutrients that were just messing with my system and uh, was silencing the feedback that I was getting from my body.
0: Awesome. You know what you, you said? Oh, you know, this is where people really, I think, get it. And, you know, they don't want to hear your boring, boring story. And my thought process you're telling your story is that it's so much easier to relate to. Like, for yeah. me, I'm a I am a geek just like you. <laughs> as soon as you start getting out like the technical details, I'm leaning in and I'm like, oh, man, that's fantastic. Um, I wish I had like 10 years of being able to just really dive deep into some of the things that just pique my interest. But um, when I listen to you talk about how you were feeling and what you were doing and the level at which you were going so hard with it and still basically feeling like crap. Um, That's the story that has me say, I don't care if you understand what Ali is saying at all or not. I'm sure you can think back to the time that you didn't sleep, were grinding your teeth, were stressed out at work and trying to figure out how you were going to do this, that or the other thing. And then just realizing none of it was going to work at all. And that for me is kind of like the man, you know, like... (laughs) you don't, everyone doesn't need to be Allie Miller to be able to feel exactly where Allie was and realize that she's changed her life around. And so, so can they. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's absolutely amazing. So having said all of that, (laughs) You said you went from hardcore vegan, raw vegan, to eating ribeyes. Uh, how, how did that process go, and how did you explain that to everyone?
2: Yeah. So yeah, I know, and it was like I was in Iowa before I moved to Seattle. I was like the president of the Animal Welfare Act, and the, all the all the things, you know. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I, I still, when and I still have mad compassion for animals, um, but in a different way. Um, and I, I find that to have sustainability in our food system, it requires the consumption of animals. So I've just made peace in a different light, I guess. Um, but yeah, so, so. I literally was at my appointment at the naturopathic clinic and they had done a bunch of blood work. Um, my, I had a positive ANA, antinuclear uh, anti-nuclear antibodies. So that's diagnostic of autoimmune disease. Uh, again, thyroid was all wackadoodle. My TPO was up, my ferritin was super low and they were like, okay, here's some supplements and here's a list of vegetarian rich sources of iron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I was like, ah, you know, I, I knew enough in the sense of like, I knew different forms of, I knew the difference of a biological and a non-biological form of iron, right? And and so I know that there's heme and non-heme forms of iron in food. And the only forms of heme iron is in animal. Uh, and I also knew that, you know, we get in ferric form, the vegetarian non-heme form. And I knew, oh, if you add your acid, like vitamin C to your spinach, you can enhance the absorption of the iron. But I knew it wasn't even going to come close to what I could get by eating biological versions of the nutrients that I was deficient in. Um, And now I could hypothesize I was likely low in things like CoQ10 and other really essential nutrients that only animals really can provide. And um, so I just kind of said that day, I I went home and uh, I actually bought a dozen eggs on, on the way home. And I th- threw three raw egg yolks into a green smoothie. That was my first step. <laughs> and then I just kind of went from there. And, and literally, I, my hu- I wasn't prepared to eat beef right away when I did. I was cramming for an exam, and my husband was searing a steak on a cast iron. And I swear, like a cartoon character, I like wafted in there and he laughs. He tells a story. When he turned around, half the steak was gone. I was just like, super primal. Um, and I had already eaten some for, I was eating salmon at that point and we had gone to the islands off of Washington and we were eating raw oysters. And so I, I had opened the bridge. Um, but, uh, yeah, I hadn't looked back since I had that steak. I was like, I'm good, man. This is, this is where it's at.
0: Okay. It's, what was the, how long is the time frame? you know, one to the other?
2: Oh, like I said, less than two months I was eating red meat. So it was like, uh, I mean, I think I brought fish in within week one, And then it just kind of, it just kind of depended on what was available, what I was vibing, what I, what I felt like. I never had any digestive distress. Um, You know, a lot of people talk about that. And um, I actually, I have a episode called (laughs) becoming a recovering vegan. I may have named it a little bit nicer. I'm not sure, but I think it was, it's called still becoming a recovering vegan or from a recovering vegan or something or how to, I don't know. And um, you know, you some people do well by uh, taking some hydrochloric acid and, using enzymes to support their digestive tract it's kind of that if you don't use it you'll lose it mentality Um, but I think because I was slow and steady and I I still had a really nutrient dense clean diet I I didn't have any struggle or any bloating or um, cramping or changes in digestion that were remarkable I just started feeling really grounded and really
0: good so within that two month period of time of making the transition, you would say that you exponentially improved how you were feeling?
2: Oh, oh yeah. Worlds. And, um, I, I ended up taking some supplements too, and I'm a huge, uh, proponent of supplements, you know, now in, in the functional world, I, I really find that if you're using food as medicine, targeted nutrition, nutrition support of, you know, pulsing in nutrients or particular compounds as needed is a, is an integral tool also to optimizing your health. Uh, but I I think that foundationally we have to use food as medicine as like a double-edged sword. So we remove what is pro-inflammatory, uh, or, you know, disruptive for the body, uh, distracts our detoxification processes and we consume an abundance of the foods that drive metabolic processes, upregulate, the detox processes and, um, have the least, uh, anti-nutrients or are the easiest to assimilate and use the nutrition that they
0: provide. Wow. Okay, great. So, and I, am I really need to let Brittany ask the questions that I know she has, but I haven't had Brittany on in so long that I'm kind of like, I keep forgetting <laughs> she's there. Um, Brittany, do you have anything on the top of your mind right now before I throw something else at her? Uh,
1: no, you can go ahead. All right, thank, thank you. Okay.
0: So my question is first, As you there's so many things that you just said, I'm just like, oh, my goodness. So in talking about food as medicine, I think we definitely need to kind of unpack that a little bit because I think some people are like, I don't you know, I don't know what that is. But the other thing that I'd love for you to touch on, I have clients that come to me all the time with this list of like 60 supplements that they're on. And 99% of the supplements that they're taking and that people consume are absolute garbage. Do I think that targeted supplementation works? For sure. Absolutely. But I also think that uh, our industry, when it comes to supplementation, is such to the point that you know, you're most often buying the marketing and not necessarily the product. So if you could kind of talk through one, the bioavailability, the difference between the two, um, what supplements you like and feel are most often beneficial for the majority of people. And then also unpack like the food is medicine thing. That would be fantastic.
2: Sure. It's a a loaded, loaded, uh, (laughs) request, but you can interrupt me and redirect me if I, if I turn a wrong turn, but, um, yeah. So, you know, when using functional medicine, we're always looking at the, the root cause. Uh, so I mentioned, like I said, stress and anxiety can be this, this weak point or this Achilles heel, and it can constantly drive other undesired symptoms. Um, and when I'm working with a patient, I spend 90 minutes with them just really delving into their health story, understanding their structural health. You know, do they have dermatological flares, joint, ligament, tendon, um, looking at, uh, the way that they digest food, do they experience bloating? What's their bowel motility and formation look like? I inquire a lot about hormone health, sleep, all of the things. And then we kind of look together at what would be driving or triggering. So what's the antecedent or the triggering act? And is that modifiable? Um, So that's an important part because supplements are to supplement your starting point and your lifestyle demand. Okay. So you can say to anyone, and I mean, as an author of the anti anxiety diet, do I believe meditation and cognitive behavioral work is amazing? Absolutely. But if I was to sit with a patient in a 90 minute session who's going through a divorce and there's child abuse going on, right? And this woman isn't sleeping, you've got to be kidding me that I'm not going to give her supplements to help her sleep through the night and I'm not going to give her GABA to mellow her out at times of need. And I'm not going to give her adaptogens to protect her adrenals and thyroid from the high demand that she's being hit with. Um, so I think it's important to understand just that, Uh, supplements support both the lifestyle demand and your starting point. And then you should use food as medicine as a strategy to layer once you get above water and then you can pulse back down or reduce the supplement strategy when you're able to modify that, that external variable or that demand, you know, someone who is recovering from a surgery, I feel should be dosing pretty high vitamin C, like three to five grams because vitamin C is on demand during times of collagen formation and tissue recovery. Does everyone need vitamin C every day? No. So it's this understanding demand, I think that's really important, understanding the mechanism of action, um, and then understanding the limiting variables within your diet of if you really can consume enough to metabolically heal the body. Or oh, protect man, the was... body or protect it, right? From more damage. Wait,
1: just sit and wait and put your hands up. I don't think that that's right either.
0: I love it. I think that's fantastic. Brittany, how, how are your wheels turning on that?
1: One of the things that intrigues me or intrigued me the most about when I first discovered you, Allie, was um, just how well you did know the like the root cause of things. And um, we've talked about multiple times on our podcast how many times, everybody's just looking for that short-term pill. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a lot of people look at supplements as a quick fix. Um, So hearing you explain it so well of, hey, this can be something that can be used in this, but really where you're at in this moment with the ultimate goal of using the whole food approach and then occasional supplements here and there for the specific situation is encouraging.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's all about, like I said, and also the baseline and the, the state of the individual. Like, for instance, someone, I, I work with a lot of inflammatory bowel disease clients. So um, if we're talking ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease and um, bar none, I feel all IBD people should absolutely daily be taking some form of L-glutamine because they're set up to have gut damage. So we want to fuel those enterocytes. Now, someone that can take in two quarts of bone broth a day religiously, Bible, you know, whatever. And they're going to promise that. And they're also not under stress. And they're also not tearing through their glutamine because they're not doing any sports. Maybe they can pulse that in three times a week. But most people that have ulcerative colitis and inflammatory bowel disease, need that. Um, and so again, it's just kind of understanding what's my risk factor. And um, I think, I think on both ends of the spectrum, we can over or underdo. and I don't like to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, I think that it's important to understand mechanism of action and, and what is the need. And do you want to be on a low dose steroid daily, which has more harmful side effects or L-glutamine? You know, I mean, I, I would choose L-glutamine, but.
0: Right. I think that's the, the natural, <laughs> the natural choice for sure. Right, right, right. right. Um, okay, I'm just like... I don't want to say I'm blown away. I'm, I'm thinking about all the questions that I have and trying to stay true to what I said at the beginning of this, which is that people right now are under this crazy amount of pressure to, you know, oh, it's January. I want to make sure that I get on this new bandwagon of changing my life in XYZ formation. Um, and or, you know, I'm currently already underway with whatever transformation they're trying to make and are feeling the pressure of, you know, eating with their family and making the memories that are surrounded by food. I know I've talked about it before and, and I'll stay it still, you know, the the emotional aspect um, that I have with food is is very real, um, and the anxiety I think that's created by either a trying to resist said food temptation or um, b you know succumbing to the temptation and then the guilt that then comes after is something that I feel people need to be freed from, um, freed from in the sense that I think that there's more to it than just them beating themselves up and really understanding how some of the foods that they take in can impact those things. Um, but I also know that we don't have time to. Really go through addictions and (laughs) how those addictions play out and everything else. But if, if you could say, you know, obviously I think, um, one of the things I respect about you so much is that you don't just diagnose without testing, without actually getting levels and having a baseline to then treat appropriately with. Right. Um, where I feel like, I mean, let's, let's be honest, conventional medicine. Most often that's what we're doing. You present X, Y, Z symptom. I'm going to prescribe you X, Y, Z drug. And then after you tell me how you've responded to said dosage we will adjust. Um, I love the fact that that's not your approach.
2: (laughs) Um, And I'm laughing because, or a really ego driven doctor says, Oh, just, just, you'll get, your body will get used to it. (laughs) They don't even listen to the feedback. They're just like, Oh, no, this is, this is what you need. You'll be okay.
0: (laughs) Take, take two of those and don't call me. Um, (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, it's, you know what? We're laughing, but it's so sad. (laughs) I know. It's terrible. Yes. no, but having said that, I what are some of the things that you can say unequivocally are I don't want to say triggers, but things that people should say, Hey, if you if you really don't want to go backwards, if you want to continue making this change and and do it in a positive way, you know, practice these things. Like for me, for instance, when someone comes to me and says, you know, I haven't had any cheats as far as sweets, this or that, or the other thing, I'm not taking in sugar. Um, and I asked them, are they using any type of like artificial sweeteners or even things that are natural sweeteners? And the, the, the response that comes from that can be driving the cravings that they're having for other things. What are some of the things that people can do surrounding this holiday season right now to, you know, help move in a positive direction and recognize some of the mental connections? And I recognize that that's a very loaded question. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so like an actual technique or uh behavioral. Uh, like
0: yeah, I, I, why don't we do both? Cause there's probably some okay. that needs some, they, they need you to tell them tie a string around their finger. Right. And then the other, uh, there are other people <laughs> that need to understand like behaviorally to be on the lookout and recognition of, okay, well, this is going to set this trigger off for you. And so you should probably avoid that based on, you know, them making that connection. So why don't you provide both?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I think the most important thing that I harp on with my programs and in clinic is staying connected to the biofeedback of your body. So the more that you can be kind to yourself, likely the cleaner you will eat uh, because you don't have the guilt, shame, vicious cookie cycle going on. Um, If you are kind to yourself and you actually listen to what your body is saying um, from what you're putting in your system. And you use that as information. Again, not to shame yourself, but you use it as information. Like I had popcorn last night and I was constipated. That's a feedback, right? Or I had this and my joints hurt the next morning. Or I ate that piece of whatever, and I'm bloating, or just dist- I'm bloated or distended. And when I drink bone broth, I feel really energized. I feel really, uh, you know, grounded or whatever it is. I-, I think it's important to make patterns and feedback with your body first and foremost. And you're going to get more sustainable outcomes in that sense versus really getting dogmatic and thinking of things as such a rigid. Yes, no strategy. Um, and if you don't tie emotion to intake, if you can try to neutralize it as just fuel you're putting in your body and listen to how your body responds to it, then you're likely not going to have as much of this over-restrict, uh, overcompensate type mentality on and off again. And I think regardless of the holidays, that happens. You know, we kind of we love to do these like. Whole thirty, or, you know, I mean, I, I have a 10 day de- detox in my program. So, I mean, I know at, we like to cut times, we like to make these uh, commitments and then we, we like to think about human nature, what happens after that last day? How am I gonna, you know, like what's gonna come? Um, and so I think finding a longevity within our relationship with food is really important and um, giving our body the amount of time to give feedback to the adjustments that we've made. Um, and, and then you can kind of troubleshoot and and land strategy beyond that. Um, Looking at your behavior chain, for instance, of when are the troublesome times? Is it the after work time, right? Um, And what would happen, is that because maybe you had a stressful day and you come home depleted? You know, we burn through, for instance, serotonin and dopamine at higher demand when we're having a mentally stressful day. And so we come home dopamine depleted and we're looking for that, reward, pick me up. Right. And so we're looking for that. I was a good girl. What do I get type of, of, um, mechanism? We, we, we're coming from a low. So you can either do things like in clinic, I might give that patient 500 milligrams of L-tyrosine, which is the precursor to dopamine. And then that way they're showing up repleted or they're not coming from a depleted state. If I'm not doing testing and I'm just being broad, I might recommend tyrosine rich foods, like having a hard boiled egg with mustard at four o'clock or, uh, you know, having some form of uh, turkey that you roll up with olives as a snack. Um, And so just timing strategy and being intentional and purposeful, I find to be really powerful and um, trying to recognize the whys versus just obsessing on the what we did and judging ourselves, but understanding the patterns so we can be preemptive to prevent future Uh, future mistakes, if you will, or or really support our body for optimal outcomes.
0: I feel like you should drop the mic and just hang up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Brittany I know I know you have feedback on that I mean that was that was amazing
1: yeah I actually so listening to that kind of brought back one of the things um in your just like topic points that you had sent us that really caught my eye was the idea of um doctrine creating disconnect yeah yeah um I can imagine what I think you mean by that but so and I feel like it might tie in from what I think it meant you meant by it. I think it might tie into kind of some of the points that you brought up in that. Um, but would you mind unpacking that idea a little bit? And I might be totally off. And so it might be a total change of subject. But no, no, no,
2: no. It, it, it's within that a sense of rigidity, right? And like judging ourselves. Because if, if you create on and off, then you're. Designating something as a fail, right? Like, mm-hmm. so if you have rigidity of this is not keto and I am keto, um, and you eat something that isn't, then the mind goes into the I'm bad, I failed, I did this wrong. Um, but again, if you allow yourself, that more gradual playing field um you will likely have less of a fall off less of a binge cascade that might fall from an oops in the radar if you listen and are neutral about your feedback and so that's kind of the connection i think there i i kind of birthed this mantra of doctrine creates disconnect uh in the keto spectrum and in the mindset of thinking of my personal history when I was raw vegan and right, I was like literally pulling handfuls of my hair out and pulling my car over because I was having a panic attack and couldn't get over, you know, the the bridge to Seattle. uh, I wasn't allowing myself to think beyond what I thought was the perfect diet that was going to cure cancer. Right. I would never allow myself to think that my diet could be wrong because it was the way. And we can do the same thing with keto. We can do the same thing with, 30, we can do the same thing with anything. Right. So I'm eating keto carnivore, or I'm eating whatever form of keto and I'm losing my hair or this and that has happened, but my macros are perfect. My macros are perfect. So my body must just need to get with the program. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I can't tell you how often I'm like, well, I'll, I'll be working with a client. I'm like, well, girl, you're, you're only eating 40 grams of protein a day and you've lost 35 pounds. You know, yes, keto is muscle sparing, but You need some more amino acids. You know, this is what's going on. You're you're just like in chemotherapy treatment, your body's releasing its hair because your thyroid's checking out. Everything else is checking out. You're malnourishing yourself. You're not giving yourself enough protein. Um, and so we have to listen to the signals of our body and we have to redefine what our perfect diet is based on the season, based on our stress level, based on our demand. It might always be keto, but the macros might shift or the intermittent fasting strategy might shift or the amount of leafy greens might shift. You know, I mean, it could be very minute or it could be very dynamic, but we have to allow an ebb and flow principle of diet, um, and, and stop getting into this. This is the way type mentality.
0: Okay. So Brittany's probably going to say, no way. Is he about to say what I think he's going to say? I (laughs) love, I I love that. Um, I feel like, okay. So for those of you that are listening that have been coached by me or recognize how I do things. I am very black and white, but I'm very black and white for seasons. And I feel like sometimes that, that season that someone's in, you know, like how they start or, um, when they're going to make changes and, and whether or not they get to that, that point, I feel is lost in translation sometimes when I say certain things. And so I think that was, very well eloquently put because, you know, how I started, for example, is definitely not how I eat now. And it shouldn't be because I'm not in the same position. I'm not in the same situation. And for that matter, depending on what my work schedule looks like tomorrow, I may adjust what I need to eat in order to deal with, um, you know, the higher level of stress that I may have tomorrow than I would differently. But having said all that, I feel like that is just one of those things that people have to recognize. I think that's absolutely epic because, you know, you know, I'm very black and white and I feel like I do cause and Brittany, I'm sure I can agree with this, some to feel very either on or off. Right. And I, I have said so many times I am not the perfect coach for everyone because of how my style is and how that may emotionally connect with where you are in your journey. Um, so how does how can someone kind of recognize their pressures? And then if they finally recognize, OK, this is how I feel like I can't cross the bridge to Seattle because of X, Y, Z, or I'm pulling out a, a handful of hair. How would you say, what's their, you know, sub taking an MRT test? What would you say are the things that they can do to kind of recognize the sensitivity to it and and reconnect with where they should be?
2: So, and I, I think in a forefront, you have to start with tight structure, right? And you have to allow yourself, like, for instance, you can't tell someone to become keto and then be like, well, feel it out, man. <laughs> like, just vibe <laughs> it out, like feel how many carbs you need, right? Like you you need to be like 30 total grams of carbs a day. Day, it's going, you know, you got to give yourself six weeks, lock and load mode, you know, whatever. And I, I think that's necessary. And I mean, I, I give protocols in my program for that reason, but I've, I've totally evolved clinically speaking. Cause I've been using keto for 10 years now in practice and I've evolved clinically speaking, um, in the fact that I have like tiers of protocols and there's more of a, yeah, a flow a fluidity. And, um, I I think that based on the dynamics of where we're starting from like if you're feeling like you know, 10 pounds of poop in a five pound bag when you're starting and you're just like Whoa, yuck in your body, right? You're, you're, you're not going to notice a, a change in your digestion from having too many leafy, right? You know, like you're like numbed to what's going on in your body, but as you evolve and you get closer to that, that princess and the pea sensation of like, Ooh, that restaurant, I asked them to cook this in butter and they for sure use soybean oil or whatever it is, right? Like you're like that titrated to the feedback of your body, then you're going to have different needs and different demands. And so I, I think it's just kind of an ongoing evolution. I think that for many people, just getting fat adapted and using the ketogenic diet can be very therapeutic for, you know, insulin resistance, dysmetabolic syndrome, so many things. But then we need to start thinking about that other part of food is medicine of what are we eating? Because <laughs> I think it starts so um, you know exclusive of what you can't have, and then I think we focus on abundance of what we can have and what foods are beneficial. Like for instance, I have all my clients have two to three cups of leafy greens a day. Um, when we're dealing with electrolyte instability, we do half an avocado with the juice of a lemon and a half teaspoon of coarse salt, and we you know eat that with a spoon. And so we have these for potassium, magnesium, and sodium reset, right? So. We have these food is medicine, um, I guess intake interventions and strategy. And then as you evolve further, then you might notice some of those no foods. Like I get a lot of fun, you know, you're doing something right when people, you know, hate on you. Um, I had a post of my top five, um, keto sweeteners. And, um, you know, I got berated by a lot of people because none of them were keto quote unquote foods. I'm very anti non-caloric sweetener in all forms. And so my favorite keto sweeteners are things that bump, bump, bum are, have carbs, um, like raw and filtered honey and dates and, you know, uh, mashed banana and whatnot. But when I make a keto recipe using that sweetener, the total carbs is always going to have less than 10 grams. And that means that the net carbs is probably gonna be less than six, Um, you know? And so it's it's for people to kind of see that and, and they say, what? Well, dates aren't keto. It's like, I'm not saying eat five dates. I'm saying if you're gonna make an avocado brownie rather than use Swerve or the new kid on the block or whatever, it's gonna be monk fruit, erythritol, And keep this addictive sugar craving of sweet is what my palate wants. And so every time I go into Starbucks, I'm white knuckling when I'm at the counter to not get a cupcake. That's not going to create sustainable outcomes. What will create sustainable outcomes is when you taste a macadamia nut that's roasted and has no added anything and you say that tastes sweet to me that's a win you know so i I really think it's this kind of defining and pulsing and channeling savory and using real foods that help to get us to that sustainable state um and and that's where i think the non-caloric sweeteners throw us a a curveball do they have a place in the beginning of a journey maybe but do they have a role in food as medicine i don't think so
0: oh man we don't have that was a little time. rant.
2: That was a little rant. <laughs> no,
0: that was, that was, that was, oh man, that was so great. I just, I'm, I'm in awe right now. He's in um, bliss right
1: now. <laughs> I really
0: am. I, I think that was great. The, the issue that I have right now at this moment is that I'm looking at how long we've been recording and I recognize there are other things to do on your schedule right now. And, <laughs> We really, really need to get you back on. Like, I, I, I can't stress it enough. At some point in time, we have to try to figure out some time to carve you out for a part two of this because um, there's there's just so much there. But having said that, let's <laughs> like, I don't want to wrap this up. Um, where can people find you?
2: So everything's at AllieMillerRD.com. So it's A-L-I-M-I-L-L-E-R-R-D.com. And my social media's uh, handles are at R D pretty easy for Facebook and Instagram. And, um, yeah, on my site, I have access to advanced functional labs. You had mentioned the MRT test. We do that. We do stool tests. We do all of the things. Um, I have programs and my blog and podcast and all sorts of fun, free stuff, and then investigative stuff if you need to layer functional medicine into your wellness journey.
0: I think everyone needs to weave functional medicine into their wellness journey, whether they (laughs) know that or not is a whole nother story. But um, I will make sure I link all of those things in. I would like to talk to you offline in regards to how we can integrate this with some of the clients that I know really need to get these things done. And I know for 2019, um, and I I believe it was up because I I saw a story about this, um, some of the testing that can be ordered now right on your website.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we just shifted that focus because I'm right now booked in clinic through September of 2019. So I don't have a lot of space to take on new patients. Um, Becky, my other dietitian, is actively seeing patients and she's booked like three months out in advance. Um, But we've really learned from what we're putting out there that if we give direct access to labs, what we're doing now is a customized, like literally I, um, (laughs) while laying in my bed (laughs) with my laptop and my little uh, blocker, um, I will answer, I will review your lab and I will spend at least. least 15 minutes going through it, and I will give you bullet points, keynotes, things to look at deeper, nutrients you might consider, um, and then also some of the mechanisms of potentially why. Um, So at least that's a foundational starting point that may be enough on its own, or it can be validation and information to then bring to your healthcare practitioner with medical jargon speak explaining the why.
0: I love it. I love it. I will make sure there's links to all of those things. We will figure out some kind of time to get you back on when we can fit in your schedule and unpack more of these things. But I can't thank you enough. I really can't. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time out. I feel like this this was... This was a power packed episode, right? So it was a little <laughs> bit shorter than the 90 minutes I've been going recently, but there's so many nuggets in here for people to be able to take away with. I think that there's no one that can listen and not feel completely changed by the end.
2: Awesome. Well, it's my pleasure. It's been a fun
1: time and I'll be happy to come on again.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank Brittany, you. anything before before we disconnect and allow her to get back to life?
1: <laughs> um, I would just really encourage people in the meantime, before we can get her back on our podcast to check out her podcast. Cause, um, I've listened to you several different episodes prior to this um and actually even prior to knowing that she was going to be able to come on ours um and i think that she just like number one any topic that you could possibly need she's probably got a podcast for so go look it up
0: um, <laughs> <Thank> because <you.
1: laughs> access to her um one-on-one right now is a little bit limited um understandably but there's a lot of things that can be addressed um, and looked up into in the meantime um so yeah And we just made
2: it searchable. Like you can literally like put in the term PCOS on my website and you'll get like three episodes or four. Um, Yeah. So like you can literally put in sugar cravings or Uh, insulin resistance or anything. And if we literally, we may even have a topic titled that, (laughs) and then we'll at least have four or five episodes that tag under that term. So
0: that should be helpful. Cool. I will try to post some of the top five that I like that I, that I know I've listened to that I love and in the show notes as well. The last thing I'm going to say is this before we let you go. Um, your analogies have been absolutely fantastic, and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt it's because you currently reside in Texas, correct?
2: I do, yeah.
0: Okay. okay. Do I sound so, like a Texan? What? You, you do. You, you talk totally oh. like <laughs> you, you are. You are officially part of the country of Texas. Um, <laughs> having, right. having said that, what's your favorite? What's your favorite Texas analogy? Oh man, Texas analogy. I'll I'll go first. Mine. Okay. Is, yeah god willing in the creek don't rise
2: <laughs> <laughs> i don't mine is just what keep austin weird is that kind of that's not an analogy no. at all no,
1: that's <laughs> that's my favorite thing. at least for this episode was when she said 10 pounds of poop in a five pound bag i, I was know. like oh my gosh that is such a good description though of how you feel sometimes Like i'm that's like my back, i'm like
2: yeah. And that it's better awesome. when you say shit. And I already had said shit, so I should have said it the right way, but I was filtering myself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It, when, yeah. Babe, babe, I feel like 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. It's pretty good. That's
1: oh. awesome. like, yeah.
2: You're right. You can, get, you can feel that.
1: Nope. You totally. <laughs> no. You're like, yes, I can identify <laughs> when I have felt like that. multiple times. <laughs> All right.
0: So we're going to start a new hashtag. We're going to talk about it right here. And anytime you hear a crazy analogy or there's some kind of weird way you're feeling, you need to hashtag it totally Texas.
2: OK, sounds good. <laughs>
0: Thank you guys so much, Ali. Have a wonderful night. I appreciate it. And we will get in touch with rescheduling for part two of all of this craziness. A pleasure. The Keto Matrix Podcast, where myths are busted, science is explained, and the keto lifestyle is discussed by industry experts and everyday people alike.
1: For more information and support, go to Ketomatrix.com.